Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable for all and edifying as well, but especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are preparing sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks to uh, to feed others that are placed in your care. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm discipleship pastor for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is Joy J. Moore. Uh, Joy's been on the show a handful of times. In fact, she was one of our very first guests when we uh, first piloted this show, when it was uh, actually part of another podcast as a sort of a special second uh, bonus episode. She was an early guest on the show, and so she's been a, a supporter and, a, and a, just a fantastic guest. I love it when she's on because she is a, a great student of the Word and a, a, just a fun person and a fabulous preacher and a teacher of preachers. She does teach preaching and uh, exegesis and gives uh, – a lot of uh, curricular leadership at uh, Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. So that's where she currently serves. Also, she's taught and pastored in uh, cities and uh, seminaries uh, all over uh, the U.S. And so I love having Joy on the show. This week, we're going to be discussing Psalm 52, Psalm 52, continuing our series in the Psalms. If you're enjoying the show while you're listening today and be sure to pass it along to others, whether that's uh, just pressing the, the share button on your podcast player app of choice, either sharing this individual episode or sharing the just the show. Either one works. Whatever uh, app you use, it's going to have that share button. So just press that share button and you know, shoot a text to a friend or post it on social media. Whatever way uh, gets the word around, because uh, the best way for people to find out about the show is, is word of mouth. That's really all that we really rely on in the show. We don't have some big uh, promotion marketing budget. We actually have no marketing budget whatsoever. So really you are the one who, who gets the word out about the show. So we thank you so much in, for that. Uh, speaking of budget, uh, I got a day job, but I got guys behind the scenes who do uh, the editing and production for this work. And so I always ask that every year we'd collect up a few patrons who go to patreon.com slash fresh text. Uh, to support the show financially. Again, I don't see a penny of that. I pass that all on to our production team for their time and their their professionalism. They do an excellent job. So they really see it as a ministry and do it as a labor of love, but it is nice to get compensated uh, for your time and your equipment and all that jazz. So I'd like you to strongly consider clicking on to patreon.com slash fresh text and even at the entry level for couple bucks a, a month can make a, a pretty big difference because it adds up over a year and it adds up when we have enough patrons. It can really help. So we'd love to have a few more patrons. And so would you please consider doing that? Uh, with that said, uh, let's move on to the show. So thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with joy. Cool. All right. So let's hear Psalm 52 and a translation of your choice. So I'll be reading today from the New Revised Standard Version. And in that translation, we hear these words. Why do you boast, O mighty one, of mischief done against the godly? All day long, you are plotting destruction. Your tongue is like a sharp razor. You 
worker of treachery. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking the truth. You love all words that devour. Oh, deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at the evildoer, saying, See, the one who would not take refuge in God, but trusted in abundant riches and sought refuge in wealth. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because of what you have done. In the presence of the faithful, I will proclaim your name, for it is good. Thus far, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, may you bring your justice in this world against uh, evils both uh, visible and invisible. And will you make us into green olive trees in your house? Grant us, by your spirit, the capacity to trust in your covenant faithfulness. And so we entrust you this time, as Joy and I converse, that we would see and hear the word of God being spoken and moving even in our midst today. And that as we study this psalm, that our own uh, words and thoughts would be faithful and fruitful for all those listening in who in turn have flocks entrusted to them Jesus, of all kinds of shapes and sizes. Mm. So, Lord, hold us steadfast as your sheep and make us into faithful shepherds, for you are the chief shepherd. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So, Joy, thanks again for uh, digging into Psalm 52 with us. Uh, what jumps out at you at your first reading today, fresh, as you hear these words and have them on your lips? What do you notice? Well, um, I, um, I always like to, if I can, when I'm talking about a psalm, to remember that, you know, this is the, uh, I like to call this uh, Israel's iPod playlist. You know, they're, they're the, the, the best, they're the top 40, you know, to, to reach an older crowd there. And I heard someone say that you understand a people by their poets. You know, uh, the, the philosophers are critically reflective, but the poets they speak out of that passion. They speak out of their hurt. They speak out of their uh, hope. And so reading this psalm, that's the first thing that I pay attention to, is um, the trajectory that is that begins to be a description of uh, devastation and threat that moves to a destruction by the hand of God, which we'll talk about a little bit, but ends with trust in that God. And so that movement against the context of reading this is not, uh, not as uh, principles, but more expressive, as you would sort of say, what's that song that, you know, I woke up this morning and I needed to hear. And this was the song. <laughs> you know? 
just a little background for Psalm 52. It's believed that this is a psalm that parallels with 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22, where David has uh, gone to uh, see uh, the priest and one of Saul's servants uh, overhears uh, encounter. And David, who's, who's being decent, is getting food and we could totally go off on the fact that this is where David, you know, gets the food from the from the um, the temple. But I digress. <laughs> but the the priest feeds him and gives him Goliath's sword, and then David goes on, and then Saul is in this fit of you know against David, and he asks what's going on. And so Deaj, I'm not sure how to say that because uh, I don't I don't read Hebrew anymore. But he says, um, "Oh yeah, yeah, the priest um, has been helping out David." And the result is Saul has all of the priests killed. And so it's believed that the scribes were thinking of that moment when you know they were writing. And when you think about the introduction that I gave, you know what songs are being written right now after George Floyd's murder. You know, what do you what do you get from Kendrick Lamar or, or Lecrae after that? And that's what this psalm kind of contextually is. So all of that beyond uh, the first words that, that get me is uh, the sarcasm in the beginning. So you're big and tough and you think you can boast. And then what you're boasting about is the mischief that's done against the good, the people of God. Ouch. That word of warrior is not a, a praise word right there. It's sarcastic. It's basically uh, in the idea of someone that is is less than respectful, I guess is how I should put it. Yeah, so here's a here's a scary question okay. to, to ponder. Surely Saul could pray this same psalm against David as far as he's concerned. <laughs> That's the... That's the wild thing with with these psalms is, you know, you ever been in like a prayer meeting and someone gets up and like prays, you know, for a certain outcome and someone else gets up and prays and it's like they're contra they're like you ever hear like a like a like a prayer argument? <laughs> I always think those are so fun. Uh are you talking to God or us and God's each who's each other? Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, maybe a bit of both. <laughs> you know, uh and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, because in the end of the day, a prayer is an act of trust to say, you know, it's implied that if I've assessed the situation wrongly, then God will say no to my prayer. He will answer. God answers prayer, but his answer is sometimes no. You asked for the wrong thing, right? That's still an answer. It's That's not a satisfying. That's the power of song. Yes. That's the power of yes. poetry. Well, you think a love song, You anybody feels like they're singing it to their beloved. Yeah, yeah. It's not like, no, that was... Such and so wrote that for their girlfriend. So <laughs> I'm going to sing it to mine. That's the point. And, and a protest song can then take on different meaning in a different setting mm-hmm. when there's new enemies, yeah. new injustices. Exactly. Exactly. And it's also, which is why I put back that cultural reality. It's also important for us to remember that there is a historical moment that this is reflecting, that this isn't just uh, sitting in a dark corner saying, let me see if I can conjure up some emotions right here. Poetry and songs are written in response. And then in that response, then they can be used to buy others whose similar, whose situation is similar in those words speak for, right? 
So David, from his childhood, has been the songwriter for Saul. So I think it's absolutely appropriate to think that Saul could say, oh, man, once again, this boy has written my words and put it to song. Yeah, and to catch that sarcasm is so crucial. You know, that's what's, that's what's tricky when you say, you know, if the Psalms are Israel's top 40 or they're they're billboard 150, right? It's <laughs> it's 150 songs. <laughs> or e- even in a sense it'd be like for our own our own kind of modern North American culture if you were to take the top song from every year, you know, for for decades. I don't know if you ever you ever listened to like you've seen one of those videos on YouTube where it it displays like 5 minute clip from the top song of every year mm-hmm. and it's like a real you really feel the history. Yeah. Right. But what if you did that and then mix them up and they weren't in order the way a good playlist would not just be in. I mean, who who makes a playlist on Spotify and it's in chronological (laughs) order? No, it's in an order of the flow. A good playlist is or you and I, when we were younger, a good mixtape, as we called them. Right. It's going to have a flow. It's going to have a beginning, middle and end. So the 150 Psalms are not they're not chronologically ordered. They have a a, a kind of flow, a structure. So we're here kind of halfway through the, the second of five books, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So heavy in the David material. Yes. And you almost need, I mean, in context, you to finally pick it up. But, but what's tricky is when you think of this as the top 140 or top 150 <laughs> or the top 40 or whatever, it's, uh, it's actually just the lyrics of them. We don't get the music anymore, right? We don't have the, the, feeling, the, the feeling of that sarcasm in the right. opening line. Right. Right. Uh, so how you read it, I feel as Psalms more than, I mean, I'd say that maybe Paul's letters would be another example of this, but there's a, there's, there's some portions of scripture where if you're asked to read them publicly, even if you're not the preacher right. of a text, but all the more so if you're the preacher, like you have to spend a little extra time prepping because you got to get the tone just, not just right, mm-hmm. but you need to make it, I shouldn't even say just right. Cause we don't always know. No, you got to make it. You got to take, make a choice. You got to fall off the log. Because Paul also Paul also can sometimes be sarcastic, and he's not always teaching. He doesn't always believe the things coming out of his mouth. He's making a point. He's sometimes making a rhetorical. He's asking a rhetorical question, or he's quoting his audience in order to correct them. Yes. So you can't just push it. I mean, this is true of all the scriptures, but I think there's certain parts of the canon that that have these ironies and sarcasms where the tone really matters. You know. Uh, I just saw the, the, this is the NLT. I have a few versions out uh-huh. opening line of, of the first line. This, this is nice. Cause it really gets the sarcasm it says you call yourself a hero. Do you question? <laughs> right. So it's like really clear. Yeah. You know? The message says, why do you brag of evil? Big man. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Big, big man. <laughs> Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. But man, I'm just I'm I'm struck by this disturbing thought that from Saul's point of view, as he reacts and kills these priests, if he's thinking David's this warrior who's prideful and arrogant and and challenging the authority of the throne, God's covenant faithfulness is all day long. Well, God's covenant faithfulness, he made a covenant with me, he made me the king. So you can see these words could be twisted to evil. I'm not saying Saul's the author. I'm just saying like the dark side is, is you can swap the characters and feel all justified when I'm actually, and we need to ask that even as modern 
readers, some Christians, if we're in places of power, we have to be careful with a psalm like this to claim like, oh, our enemies are automatically on the side of Saul and I'm on the side of David. Maybe somebody's out there praying this psalm against me and God's going to say yes to them, not to me. And that's where, again, reading that whole, uh, particularly, I think it becomes chapter 22, chapter uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21 um, talks about David's encounter uh, with the priest. But chapter 22, if I'm, if I'm remembering the divisions correctly, yeah, that's right. the reason I yeah. hate doing the divisions. <laughs> They're the divisions. Uh, it's 21 and 22. Yeah. That's spot on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, is this, you know, where the priest is saying, now, wait a minute. You know, David is actually, he's been right about you. He's been supportive of you. And so in that context, we begin to get the backstory to realize that Saul's actions are actually making it true for David to be able to say, I'm scared. I'm running for my life. I'm not after him. And when we read the whole story, you know, we see, you know, when he goes to Jonathan and he says, Jonathan, you tell me whether your dad's after me or not, you know? And so when you put the whole of the, uh, I'm going to say this because it'll matter later on, the whole of the character of these individuals into their, the literary context of the whole story, then you begin to begin to read it a little differently, which makes your challenge so critical for us because we'd like to just take each individual word, each individual passage as a principle that we can apply to ourselves. And so, you know, when it says enemy, my enemy is the enemy of the text. But when you read it in context, it's like you said, oh, maybe I'm the enemy of my enemy and they're reading this against me. And the question is, who has the humility of heart to move from what would be a disenchantment in this opening to humbling oneself before the God to whom they're praying? Because as I said, there's this movement, as is often true in the Psalms, there's this movement that moves from rehearsing what is, you know, a destruction and a warning to a confession of faith. Well, that's perfect. That sets us up to look at that that back half after the break. So let's take a quick break and then come back and jump right in there at those last couple verses. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Joy J. Moore. We're looking at Psalm 52. I'll read it fresh to get us in it, get it in our ears, and then we'll take a look at the uh, last two verses that you highlighted, the, the progression towards uh, uh, after that. So this is Psalm 52. I'm reading from Robert Alter's translation. As the regulars know, I always like to, to bring in at the second segment. Um, so Psalm 52, here it goes. First, the inscription for the lead player at David Maskell, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. And now the psalm. Why boast of evil, O warrior? God's kindness is all day long. Disasters your tongue devises like a well-honed razor doing deceit. Your, you love evil better than good, a lie more than speaking justice. 
You love all destructive words, the tongue of deceit. God surely will smash you forever. Sweep you up and tear you from the tent, root you out from the land of the living. And the righteous shall see and be awed and laugh over him. Look, the man who does not make God his stronghold and who trusts in his great wealth and who would be strong in his disaster. But I am like a lush olive tree in the house of our God. I trust in God's kindness forevermore. I shall acclaim you forever, for you have acted, and hope in your name, for it is good, before your faithful. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, so there's this turn in that last verse, two verses, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a formal turn, too. The, the, the poetry takes on a different meter, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's in these really fast couplets, and then it slows down possibly into triplets, depending on how you analyze it. But it clearly, the meter really shifts into this. I mean, the imagery is very peaceful, but so is the, the kind of meter of it. It's a shift, and Ultra tries to represent that by putting it into triplets, which it plausibly is in the, in the Hebrew. I mean, you never know for sure. It's just a bunch of letters smashed together in ancient texts. But <laughs> <laughs> So what's going on there? You said something about humility and about confession. T- tell me how you, how you read that. You know, I, I've always, I got to be honest, I've always taken this as like, and, and it's always sit, this, this Psalms often sit with me wrong. Not the, well, I mean, the, you know, smash my enemies part sits with me wrong, but only in the way that all modern people get a little squeamish, you know, but that's across the whole Psalms. Specifically this Psalm, it kind of sounds like he's like, yeah, but I'm great. Check me out. But I might be misreading this olive tree. So, so help me with that imagery. What, how, how did you kind of naturally take that? So, you know, I'm taking first that first part that you were talking about in terms of uh, smashing enemies. I hate, I really do hate the way that we tend, as we were talking in the first half, to take these texts and um, use them against our projected enemies. But when I think of people who are truly victimized, as we record this, when I think about the folks in the Ukraine, you know, who, yeah. you know, who were in the shopping mall last weekend, right? At some point or another, I'm like I'm like uh, Mother Teresa, who was depressed because of all the poverty that and inequity and justice that she saw in uh, Calcutta. If you look at that kind of injustice and and don't get depressed, I got to ask what's going on with you, right? And so I'm encouraged in my anger, even if it's something I have to repent from. I'm encouraged to think that God is distressed by evil, right? Yes, yes, yes. So knowing this character of God, remember I said I was going to bring that back up, keeping the character of those who are reading or who it's about, but then turning to the character of God. This entire Psalm, as, as is the witness of scripture, tells us that God is trustworthy. And so Opening is this kind of dynamic, I am ticked, you know, and then, okay, all right, God, you're listening to me. 
I can, I can breathe. I can breathe because I know you're a good God. Yeah. When I put my trust in you, I'm not this um, busy fly that's trying to run from light to light. I'm, I'm like a tree that's planted. And so the imagery can slow down and take on that robust life of all that an olive tree produces, you know, and suddenly I'm not the one scurrying around in trouble, in anger, in anxiety. I'm the one who is leaning on the God whose character is trustworthy. And it, it, it's almost becomes meditation because then I can breathe. And when I breathe, I stop looking at my enemy. I stop looking at what they're doing wrong. I stop looking at how I want them to be punished. And I start looking at the God who is taking care of me. The God who, even when I'm wrong, is patient to forgive me. And then I can say, you know, God, I'm going to trust because your character is trustworthy. I'm going to trust because forever you are faithful. Hesed, you know, I trust in the steadfast love of God. You know, I love using the Hebrew there because that word now we have an understanding of that steadfast faithfulness of God. (sighs) I need that. I need that when I, you know, I'm on TikTok and I'm getting all of these, you know, updates that aren't making me laugh, but are making me angry. When I scroll through the television channel and I just want to pull my hair out, okay, I can take a breath because the God who's been faithful to generations before me, the God who has been so faithful to them that they would leave me this poetry, you know, that they would leave and and watch how I change my grouping, that they would leave us. And so what happens, I will thank God forever because of what God has done in the presence of others. I will proclaim your name. And that's what has been done for us in the presence of generations that came behind those who wrote and preserved these words And we need to do the same thing in our testimony, to proclaim God's faithfulness for those who come behind us. And that circles back to the way you began when you said, in the first half, you said how we, um, how different people in different moments read the same words for their moment. When we turn it back to the character of God, then it's not the moment that determines our fate. It's the promise and presence of God's peace that determines our faith. And that's good news. Yeah, no, that's so great. Yeah, you're right. The, the, this enemy that absorbs the attention, and I can't help but think about, I think attention is going to be key for one, at least one way of praying and preaching this psalm. The enemy that occupies the attention of the psalmist for the first, you know, seven verses just drops out. Yeah. Disappears in the last two lines. Not that, that it doesn't matter anymore, although there is a kind of, to use a kind of technical term from the, from the more priestly world of the scriptures, there's like an expiation, like the, the anger has been expiated rather than being suppressed mm-hmm. or denied or being lashed out. 
you know, in violence against, as David was tempted to do multiple times, but chose not to touch the Lord's anointed, right? By directing that towards God, there is an expiation. It's released because anger has to be released. It will be released. The question is where and when and how, right? Uh, it will be. It won't, it can't be kept up forever. And it's going to come out through whether it's violence or passive aggression or, or just in your own or in the body that you'll just get, you'll just get a stomach ache and you don't know why because yeah. you pushed all the anger down. So it gets kind of expiated. And then all that's left is this, this green olive tree and the, the simplicity and the focus and the stability and yet also the weakness. That's the humility of that image, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's very tender. Yeah. Especially to say it's an olive tree in the house of our God when God's house at this at the time of the David story, at least, if not the final form of the psalm, would have been referring to the tabernacle up in Shechem, which is this mobile, mobile. right, this house of God where, where, where David had just visited and picked up the sword, right? So there's that resonance. There's, that's one of the, the reasons why this psalm goes well with that story because mm-hmm. David had visited. David had yeah, it treated the house of God like a hostel where he could take a break on his trip out of town. And that idea of just being this tender, weak, yet humble and potentially fruitful, this tree, this little olive tree in God's house, trusting in God's chesed. And, and you, so that's, that's all that, that shift, which turns the, towards the character of God that gets the final word in the large sense of the structure. Although you pointed out what I missed till today, the, the community, because it's very, it's very, it's all about my enemy and it's one enemy. It's, it's, it, the enemy's not always individualized in the Psalms. It's sometimes this more group or this, you know, but here it's this singular foe and their character flaws and violence. And then me and who I am in my trust and hope. And yet, like you pointed out, it's then, giving thanks and proclaiming hope in God in that very last words before in the face of, in the presence of the faithful, or I don't know, what, what did you have in NRSV? Mine was uh, uh, in the presence of the faithful. In the message, it's in the company with your faithful friends. NIV, it's in the presence of your faithful people. Okay. And the old NIV, it's saints. Yes. Influenced by King James. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So here, here's a Hebrew geek moment. Okay. So this is in the presence or in the company of your, um, I want to pronounce it well. Here, let me, let me check the vowel points because okay. I don't want to screw this up because it's going to be too much fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's in the presence or company of your Hasideka, your, your Hesed ones. And so the steadfast Right. And so this is why there's so many translations because all the entire potential range of meaning and depth dimension of God's chesed has a parallel then in, in God's people and their chesed back to God. Right. And so I just think it's really cool that it's this, I'm going to praise your name. I'll wait on, or I'll put my hope in your name for it is good in the presence of your chesedim, right? Your yeah, good people. Yeah, your faithful ones. Boy, that's a tough one to... Let me put it this way. I would recommend when doing your own translation work or looking for translation, I would recommend our listeners to, if you're going to highlight this community moment at the end of the psalm, to find a translation that that uses a similar word 
for that as it does for God's faithfulness referenced in verse 8 and in the very first verse. And so that's why, you know, I trust in God's unfailing love. And then you get to the end and it's the presence of your, well, it needs to be your unfailing. That's why I kind of like uh, Peterson's The Friends. Mm-hmm. Because the friendship implies the commitment levels that maybe doesn't come across to a modern ear with just people or faithful. Exactly. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. But as Wesleyans, this whole sense of the community groups, the the accountability groups, the bands, right? It's not just um, the folks that are in my zip code, but it's the folks that I travel on this journey with who hold me accountable when I'm so happy to be angry. They remind me, you know, maybe anger isn't the position you should be holding forever. Ouch. <laughs> but you let it in. You It's kind of great that you could almost, I mean, this is a silly thing, okay. but okay, this might be, uh, you know, you wouldn't translate it this way per se, but you could say, I'm going to testify and I'm going to wait on you in my small group, <laughs> in my covenant group. Because it's like we sometimes, you know, it's called a, a covenant group is a common name for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the covenantal meaning of this word, you know, Hasidim is explicit. So there really is this sense that there is that group of people that are, that God is faithful to, that is faithful to God and that's faithful to each other. And in some sense, that's where, you know, both our expression of our frustration, but also the place where we find our voice of hope again. And of course, there's a lesson here in a group. You got to let people express that frustration. Don't correct it too soon because they, it may take them. I mean, in terms of percentages, this is 80, 20, 80% anger. Though, again, if you take the, that's if you're counting verses. Right. But if you, if you, if you take note of the meter, actually, that last part is longer because you're going to read it slower. But in terms of just counting lines, yeah, it's 80, 20. And that's a good rule. I think I need to remember, even with my own. I don't know, with my own kids when they get angry and then I get angry at their anger and then we're angry, you know, it's just escalating mm-hmm. to just sometimes maybe get it, let them go a little longer with their, cause maybe they're expiating something. And at the end of that, there might be an olive, an olive, or as we say, an olive branch, right? There's an olive branch at the end of that. There's an olive tree, a green, a little tender life that's hiding behind all that anger. And sometimes being heard is the olive branch. Yeah, sometimes that's all you need. Oh, you heard me out. I know you don't agree with me, but you heard me out. I know you're going to correct me, but you didn't lead with that. Okay, thank you for hearing me. (laughs) You're even giving me a chance to correct myself, you know, to catch myself. Catch myself. What did you kept saying? You can breathe. You can finally breathe. Sometimes you have to get the anger out in order to even breathe. And then once you breathe, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I don't want to go that way. I'd still love for God to go that way. This guy needs deposed. He is evil and he's doing evil. It's not to excuse the evil, but I'm, I'm not the one who's been called to pick up my spear and make it happen. And even when it happens, I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna mourn because even, even the death of the unjust is still falling short of the glory of humanity that he wants, you know? And with that, that, that allows me to circle back to uh, talking about the, the character of God and uh, the character of what it means to bear the image of God, what it means to be human, is, is that reminder of who God is enables us to say, all right, that's who I'm reflecting, you know, which shifts 
the uh, attitude so that if I am the one or if I am able to know of the destruction of the enemy I think is deserving, I don't celebrate. I don't celebrate their death or I don't celebrate their downfall because that is an opportunity for me to say, oh, but if what if they had another moment with God? What if they had another opportunity to see God's grace as I have seen it? Oh, how the mighty have fallen, as David ends up saying right. in Second Samuel, when this very evil man that he's, he also composes a song in the pain of, of that loss. And I'd have to check, but that's uh, for our listeners, if, if you want to, that'd be in the first chapter of Second Samuel. And it may be the, oh, the mighty have fallen. It might be the same, uh, might be the same word as, as the opening line here of, oh, you mighty warrior. Yeah. So there's the sarcastic version, and then there's the, the tragic sense of the loss of this mighty one who could have been an agent for good, but was not. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, Joy J. Moore, and we're looking at Psalm 52, a beautiful psalm. I already enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully our listeners, y'all have already had some inspiration for ways that you might live this text, pray this text, teach it, preach it uh, for others. But just to offer a little bit more guidance, first I'll just kind of pause on the the text at hand, because I think it's the first time I've had you on this year when we've been doing the Psalms. I could be misremembering, but I think that's right. And I was wondering if you wanted to offer any kind of more general advice, because preaching Psalms is hard, because they're not Preaching is so much oriented towards either narratives or doctrine. So explaining or storytelling, we kind of, those genres, there's a lot more clarity, I think, especially for young preachers. Psalms can be hard to preach on, or I should say hard to preach on well. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe, maybe you have some, some just general thoughts, and then we can maybe pitch a few ideas about where to run with Psalm 52. Sure. So a part, this one, uh, 52, a part of starting with putting in the context of 1 Samuel is uh, something that actually one of my preaching students did, and I I have incorporated in my How to Preach the Psalms. And that is uh, taking advantage of that narrative moment. So you get to do that narrative by setting it up. As I set up when we began uh, the, the podcast today, So spending a little time doing that, but to do that in a way where you parallel creating the passion, the fear, the uh, anxiety, the the emotions, and that depends on which character you're going to to go with. Are you going to go with with Saul's anger? Are you going to go with the priest being, um, you know, about to be killed because he did a good thing? Are you going to be with David and, you know, him doing the side trip and getting what he needs or having to deal with the consequences? Are you going to deal with the the servant whose words became destruction, literally, you know? So all those different characters you can choose from, but set up telling the story so that your hearers begin to feel that emotion. And then read the psalm, so it's reading it last, so then read the psalm so that the psalm expresses what that emotion is, and then pause, this is a little, you know, organization here, and then pause, and then 
find that way of closing it out the way we talked about. What does it mean to trust in God's faithfulness? And what we do each week when we gather together to rehearse our story of God's presence in our life is to proclaim to the community so that those who come behind us find us faithful. That's one way of doing it. Yeah, that's great. I mean, so, yeah, but it would apply to a ton of Psalms. Like you can almost, so of course there's some that have inscriptions, but even ones that don't, you can think about what stories this might pair well yeah, with. Yeah, sure. Right. And do that work yourself, especially because some of these inscriptions may have emerged that way. They weren't necessarily written at the time. Uh, some of them may have been. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, to again, you know, canonize your own inscription, but you could you could kind of. OK, if this had an inscription, what would I put yes. on it? That could be really, really powerful. OK, this is very helpful, Joy. So I'm kind of hearing almost the and these aren't equal in in length, but kind of a three part not three point, but three part movement Mm -hmm. to at least one way to preach a Psalm. And it's, and it's a significant large first part that's setting the scene as a narrative. So you are kind of leveraging the skills of narrative preaching there of telling the story, setting the scene, getting into the characters. And like you said, ideally the the most impact is going to happen if you kind of take an angle, pick a character that you like tell the story from, from Doeg's, point of view, perhaps. Um, and if you're going to pick him, then yeah, decide how you're going to pronounce his name. <laughs> I don't care what, how you pronounce care, it. But- just, you know, pick one way and stick with that the whole time. Uh, just so it's not a distraction. Exactly. Or, or a Himalek mm-hmm. or heck. I mean, there's this reference to Goliath and the sword. You, you could do a whole other story of like, you know, someone hearing the story, hearing this story ha- having happened, anything that draws you into the emotion. So it's really narrative. And then, really taking your time to to pray and read and perform as it were the psalm and that's becomes somewhere past i'm here if i'm hearing you right that's that'd be well past the halfway point in the sermon towards the end not all the way to the end depending on the psalm if we're thinking about not psalm 52 but if we're thinking about you know just the corpus for the the particular student that did this for for our class what they did was they set up the scene and then they simply read the psalm and sat down. And we heard the psalm. We literally heard the psalm with all of the passion. I mean, that's ballsy. Yeah. That's great, though. <laughs> I love it. It was really done. And we just all kind of inhaled because it was yeah. like, <gasps> because the yeah. psalm was then not words. It wasn't prayer. It actually was the content of the feelings we were feeling expressed. Yeah. And so there was a, as it were, a kind of resolution by way of expression, not by way of exposition. So my big takeaway from today's conversation beyond the text itself, I learned so much from you today, but in terms of the big picture or in terms of the Psalter as a whole, as a preaching text is to lean more on expression than exposition. And the way to get there is through narration, to have a narrative setting. So even if then there would be a third moment to make sure you don't spoil the moment of the psalm, that it would be perhaps, and again, some of this has to do with the the worship life of a local community. Is the sermon like the literal last thing? Okay, well then you need to think through what that ending is going to be. Is it going to be a song, a time of prayer, 
But if, if the sermon's more in the middle and there's communion to follow, you can leave it open-ended like that um, and just let it hang because the next steps will be provided by the worship life of the community. So some of that's a judgment call. You know, I, I grew up in churches and I'm in churches again now where the sermon's kind of the, the, the end of the service. So you do have to think through that, that moment after the psalm. But it wouldn't have to be you. That could be someone comes up and leads through some kind of process. Maybe there's a long time of silence, whatever. But you would have to think it through. You wouldn't want to just say, all right, bye, see you later. You know, like, and, you know, there'd have to be intentionality there. If the psalm ends in some type of uh, exaltation, then maybe it's how you choose the closing hymn or the closing, you know, song. It's risky. And if, if you'll, if you'll allow me, I'd like to offer a different way of, of going at it. Go for it. Cause our listeners can apply these, both of these approaches to any Psalm and specifically to 52. So this is perfect. This is perfect. Thank you. The other would be just staying with the Psalm 52 in this particular case and to parallel experiences that would cause them to write these words. So what is it that is happening? And, and when we were talking earlier, I mentioned Ukraine as an example. What is happening that would cause me to want to call out my enemy? Okay. It may be what's happening in maybe your local town. It may be what's happening more globally. It may be happening, you know, anywhere in between. But to retell the psalm so that it becomes the real experience of the people. And to do it in the meter, you talked a whole lot about, you know, the different meter to do it in the meter so that setting up, you do it where it's like, let me just give you a list of everything that's gone wrong and everything that whoever the enemy is or whatever the enemy is. And the enemy could be the weather. You know, it's so hot. It's so cold. It's so, you know, we're, it's too, no rain. It's too much, you know, it's a hurricane, you know, whatever, but to do it in it's kind of, Ah, I just got to tell you what's going on. And then stop and shift and then make that shift so that suddenly the attention, this is 52, suddenly the attention is on God. And then because the intention is on God, we tell this story. It's something that it might be helpful to have somebody that is actually a poet in your in your community who can actually twist the words and maybe make spoken word out of it. It's a risk, but I can tell you a whole bunch of young people would be surprised and excited if uh, a pastor who always does a propositional sermon or always does a storytelling sermon actually lets the psalm be spoken word. Whoa. Yeah, so then the the genre of the psalm is actually shaping the genre of the sermon because that's one of the yeah, that's one of the trickiest things is is we tend to think of those as the only two options, right? Narrative or proposition or exposition of some kind. And I'm hearing you say, I think rightly, that there is a narrative way into a poem, especially one with a stinking inscription right on it, inviting you to locate it there, right? But even with or without an inscription, to actually really embrace preaching as an act of poetics, as an act of making, of working with words. Yeah, boy, I mean, even if that's a portion of a sermon or if it's the whole of the sermon, there's something powerful that could, that could happen there. 
And, and it, it's a way of speaking to world events without saying that I know how to fix them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because I mean, for me to act as though the, the virtues or moral instruction that I might offer at the end of a sermon is actually going to help the people of Ukraine is, is, is a myth. Of course not. It's not going to actually fix the problem, me being more like a green olive tree. Like that's almost like, and, and preachers do that. We talk about all the great crazy stuff going on in the world. And then we give like these tiny little boring moral advice, like, okay, your solution is not proportional to the problem, but what if you forego solution and just express the problem well and invite us into then where do we direct our attention onto the character of God? Then it isn't a problem solution structure at no. all. It's about redirecting our attention. How can I face tomorrow when the problems that I came to church with this morning are not resolved? Really? That's what happens to us every week. I come into worship. I come into hearing this message and whatever it is I left on the news in my, you know, on my dining room table, on my desk at work, it's still there. I don't care how powerful the message is. And sometimes I just need to be reminded that God is walking through, wandering through this wilderness with me. I'm not alone and God is trustworthy. And that'll get me through even when it's not solved yet. Yeah, that's really good. I think this psalm expresses that really well too. What does he he do at the end, right? Trust, think, wait. Or hope, depending on how you translate that. Either way, it's it's waiting. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Thanks, Joy. This was really, really fun. I love, absolutely love having you on the show. Thank you. It's so, always Thank fun. you so much. I really appreciate it, John. It's always fun. Yeah, before we go, let me just say thanks to uh, our producers, uh, Todd and Eric. Couldn't imagine doing this show without you. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Uh, thanks to all our listeners, but especially uh, our patron saints who support the show. If you'd like to become a patron and support us in some way, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see ways to support the show there. And uh, with that said, say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.